There are a lot of things in our life that we use to help sustain us, to give us good health and viability. As a Christian, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. As we transition into a new book on the podcast, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians now. And in this passage, in the opening of Paul's letter, he's going to be teaching us how we can be sustained by God. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word. Jason is with you, as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we now transition our study into 1 Corinthians. So if you are a first-time listener and you are just jumping right in to this book, welcome to the podcast. But if you have never heard any of the previous uh, teachings that we have given in chronological order, going back to the Gospels, the book of Acts, uh, James, Galatians. I encourage you guys to check those things out. If you are listening and you are following uh, our study in either First or Second Thessalonians and you missed out on some of those, encourage you guys again to check those other episodes out uh, because our passion here on the podcast is to help you understand God's word in chronological order, in proper context. And what a blessing it is um, as we just, again, intentionally with the welcoming of the Holy Spirit say, Lord, teach us your word. And that's what I love about this podcast, just the time I have with my brothers and sisters around the world. You know, we're not here with any gimmicks. We're not trying to sell anything. We're just coming together as God's children who love him, love his word, and we want to be sustained by it. We want to stand strong in the word. And you and I know, and I say this a lot in this podcast, if you want to have a strong faith, you have to know his word inside and out. You have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so I count it a privilege every time to record and to be with you guys. And so I'm excited to be in a new letter, First uh, Corinthians. This is definitely... Uh, I would say been a letter that I, in my studies in seminary and studying apologetics and of course the resurrection as we will get to first Corinthians 15, it is just phenomenal to see how Paul weaved this thing together through the power of the Holy Spirit as he laid into the issues that were current in the mid fifties. And so what I want to do is let me just give you a brief little overview of the book and then with that, we're going to look at verses one through 10 and we might pause and I'll just, you know, do a part two perhaps, but we'll see how much we get through in a timely fashion. But I, it's important to point out though, that when you go to Acts 19, 21 and 22, you see at the end of his third missionary journey that Paul wrote first Corinthians. And again, you'll look at a commentary and some of them will say AD 53 some of them will say 8055. And I don't know specifically, but I think that's a good uh, barometer to kind of look at uh, Paul's time uh, while he was staying in Ephesus. And there's no doubt that it was earlier 50s, not later 50s of when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And so that's important because again, we are using markers to distinguish or to identify or to be able to properly lay out Paul's engagement around the Roman 
empire and beyond of how the gospel was spreading. And so oftentimes people get confused because they don't identify when Paul did what in a particular missionary journey. So obviously by saying that this is the, the, the end of his third missionary journey, he's writing to Corinthians. He has already been there, which is often what Paul did. He didn't necessarily write the letter while he was among the people. It would be him moving on. And while he was staying in Ephesus, you would think he'd be writing Ephesians, but no, he's writing uh, the letter First Corinthians. And the purpose of this letter uh, is to help the newfound faith of these Corinthians, to help them remain strong as they deal with divisions that we're going to be uncovering in this letter. There's issues of immorality. There's issues of them twisting scripture and causing other people to stumble um, to give them a better understanding of the gospel and what it means in the mortality and immortality, right? The perishable, imperishable. Uh, you know, we'll see in First Corinthians chapter uh, 11 about the institution of the Lord's Supper. We see in 12, 13, 14 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection, as I mentioned earlier in First Corinthians 15 and 16 is kind of a, like an epilogue of way of him identifying people that God had used in his life and their future implications for believers when it comes to living out the gospel. Right. And obviously our living hope is that as Christ was resurrected from the dead, we shall receive our resurrected bodies. And Paul uh, deals with that in this letter. Now, I like what the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible says, because it says, quote, Paul set out from Antioch in Syria in the spring of 49. So obviously this was after he wrote Galatians that we just fin we had finished that a while back. And it says, and after the Jerusalem council concluded to engage in missionary ministry in the province of Asia. So this is after Acts 15, a plan that God did not allow to be carried out. So obviously there were, there are times when you look at Paul's ministry that he wanted to do more and he was praying and hoping. And isn't that true for us today that there are things, I was just actually talking to a colleague friend of mine. I did an interview with him on challenging conversations and you know, we're both praying for one another. We're not sure God's leading in something. We just want to be obedient. So we may not know the specifics. We're hoping that this will work out, but we don't know. And so whether it does or it doesn't, God is in control and we are his vessels, right? We are his bond servants and we trust him. Okay, so that was clearly the case that we see with Paul. So he's planning on uh, doing some ministry in the province of Asia, but God didn't allow it. He, he didn't have them execute it. And then the commentary continues to say, when the new goal of preaching the gospel in the province of Bethania also proved elusive, Paul accepted God's guidance and crossed over to Europe. And that's where we see this in Acts chapter 15, verses 40, all the way to chapter 16, verse 10. After establishing churches in the province of Macedonia, including Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, Acts 16, 11, all the way to chapter 17, verse 15, Paul moved south into the province of Achaia, where he founded churches in Athens, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 17 of Acts, into verse 34. And then if you want to know about Paul's ministry in Corinth, you could read Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. So that gives us context in the life of Paul, in the ministry that God had called him to. 
So if you actually do have a Bible, I do want us to just contextually see what this ministry was like while Paul was in Corinth. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So this is another thing that's insightful from Luke is you can look into writings. These are known as extra biblical writings, you know, things outside, what was happening outside of these letters that were written by Paul. And then we can see within this time frame. So this is why this is an early 50s time frame that Paul was writing Corinth as he was staying in Ephesus, ending his third missionary journey. And we just mentioned when you look in the previous chapters in the book of Acts, while he was in the province of Macedonia and Thessalonica, we just finished first and second Thessalonians. Again, so that's a chronological reading of scripture. And it says, verse three, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of, of, of a man named Titius Justus. And wor he was a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. So Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Galeo was pro council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But how, he says, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see it to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal and they all see Sothenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. And then it says in verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and, th and then he took leave of his brothers and he set sail for Syria with him, Priscilla and Aquila. All right. And this is when he took the vow when he came to Ephesus and uh, he he uh, cut his hair. So that's where we are at, my friends. And this is now the letter that Paul writes. Let me, let's, let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter one and let's just read verses one through 10 and let's get some insight into this particular uh, chapter in the opening of his letter. He says here in verse one, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenus. So remember, this was a man that we just had read who God had really used in the life of Paul. And if you go back when we talked about Crispus, uh, you talked about uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And then you talked about um, Sosthenes, uh, Soth 
Sosthenes, say that five times fast, right? Um, they seized him and he was the ruler of the synagogue and they beat him in front of the tribunal. So he was embarrassed and beaten in, in humiliation because he's a follower of Christ. And so this is amazing because Paul is writing to many of these people at that time. He was there for over a year plus sharing Christ with them, growing the churches, just like he did in Macedonia, Achaia, uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea. And then he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by their Lord in ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even at the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, there is a lot there in this particular passage. And then verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So let's break this passage down. The title here is God will sustain you to the end. My friends, that is a promise. That is a promise. God will sustain you. He will not abandon you. He will not desert you. He is not out to get you. He doesn't have these nefarious plans to try to punish you and destroy you. I love this about Paul every single time. He says here in the beginning, this is how he opens his letter and it's a traditional format. He talks about the will of God, that he is an apostle of Christ by the will of God. You and I are followers of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Your calling, my friends, your special giftedness is, is in accordance to the will of God. Paul had an extraordinary conversion story that you and I know in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. He later tells about it in Acts 22, 6 through 21. And then he talks about it uh, in chapter uh, 26, uh, verses 12 through 18. You can see how he shared his testimony to a Jewish audience and then he, how he shares his testimony to a, a Gentile audience in chapter 26. We know him to be a prominent Pharisee. We know that he was under the tutelage of Gamaliel, uh, very wealthy. He was on his way to Damascus, right, to disrupt the newfound religion of Christianity. And it was there that Jesus had different plans for Paul. And he would come to faith and become an apostle who would not only preach and write about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in and around the Roman Empire, but he'd be persecuted for his namesake. And so what's so amazing is how Paul identifies himself, not just as the author, but, in, but as, a, but as a, a, a vessel, right? Like a ship that goes out to deliver cargo. He is being sent and he comes and he greets his fellow brothers as an apostle. Now, this is a title that he uses in nine of his 13 letters. Now, Paul's calling as an apostle was not by his own choosing. It was Jesus who appeared to him on the road to Damascus. 
It was, it was Paul who then repented. He had a choice. He repented of his sins and was called to live his life according to the will of God. And so as he comes in identification as an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the will of God, he recognizes and acknowledges and introduces in this letter, Sothenes. Now, perhaps this, again, and I believe it is the same synagogue. There's some commentaries who believe that this was a different synagogue ruler or I should say a different person, but I believe this is the same synagogue ruler that we just read in Acts chapter 18, verse 17, when they seize him, they beat him. Now, the mentioning of Sothenes in the opening acts, um, it almost acts as a witness, right, to the instructions given by Paul in this letter. So you can imagine that probably a lot of the things that Paul was praying through and teaching in Corinth, that Sothenes was a part of it. He was there to build into the lives of the Corinthians. So when Paul uses this phrase in verse two to the church of God that is in Corinth, again, it's only used here. And in 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, and if, this is what I love, and I tell this to a lot of pastors, if you are listening and you are in ministry, remember Acts 20.28, 20, okay? That it's God's church. Christ laid down, he shed his blood for his church. And, and you have so many of these celebrity pastors, you have so many of these people who are these podcast pastors. And that's why like on this podcast, we just want to teach the word. And we have to be reminded as we look at scripture that the church of God is sanctified in Christ Jesus, he says here. And not only that, but they're called to be saints together in every place. So yes, there are the local churches, then there's the global church, right? The universal church. So this, this is an expression that Paul gives that speaks to this assembly or this community of the Lord so when he combines the word sanctified, he's saying you guys have been made holy. It comes from the, the Greek word hagioso because then he combines it with the word saints or holy ones. So the church of God, if you are a member of a local church, okay, and, and, and all denominations that profess and proclaim and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they believe in his return someday in the inspired word of God that's infallible and superior than any other document, any other word. And they hold fast to the promises that are found in the Old and New Testament. Okay? They are sanctified individuals. They are saints. They are holy ones. Now these are common descriptions that Paul gave in scripture. But man, oh man, my friends, if you think about it, a lot of people refer to themselves, they call themselves a Christian or they go to church and there's little reflectiveness and there's a lot of betrayal to the actual meaning of what it is to have a congregation of church people. And that's why I tell people church is primarily, it's made up of sanctified, holy saints. It's not meant to be a platform or a place where non-believers come and they like the music and they get a feel-good message. No. That's not the church of God. And now I'm not referring to the denomination, the church of God or the church of Christ. So Paul gives these as a mark or a status that we have in Christ Jesus. Every time you go to church, it is a reminder that you have been called by God, that you have been sanctified, that you are a saint. That is your status in Christ. 
The other thing that's so powerful about this in the new covenant, it's just reflective of the priests that were set aside to do the work of God. If you go back to Exodus 19 verses five through six and Leviticus 11, 45, uh, you know, or yeah, Leviticus 11, 44 in 45, you will see this uh, explanation. Matter of fact, if, if you take a look at the New King James Version Study Bible, it says this, it says the Corinthians holiness came from their position in Christ not from their own goodness. The tense of the verb sanctified indicates that God had sanctified the Corinthians at a specific time in the past, producing a condition that they still enjoyed in the present. So this is what's so amazing is equally we are called to the service of God. We were called to live moral lives that are honorable to our Savior. Isn't that a blessing? And he says this, the church of God are all those who in every place do what? Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. When you're doing it in your church and even in your home or even as we're listening to the podcast right now and going through 1 Corinthians, guess what? There are people just like you and me who are calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. It, it is a, is a, it's a reminder because we can get so... Uh, you know, we can sidestep issues, but we can definitely overlook the unity that we have, even if we represent different denominations. Because one of Paul's main objectives is to unify the Corinthians and all the churches that they were a part of in their communities. You see that in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, chapter 7, 17, chapter 11, verse 16, chapter 14, verse 33 and 36. So I love how the NIV application commentary puts it in this, in regards to this. It says, Unusual in this greeting too are Paul's declarations of the spiritual state of the Corinthians and of God's purposes for them, particularly because when we learn more about them, it will be clear that they seem far from holy or sanctified in the more traditional sense of the word. Paul hints here at part of the solution, recognizing that the church is of God. It does not belong to a particular leader or congregation. The Corinthians must also recognize that they are not the center of the religious universe, but merely on cog in a large wheel of those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. The same Lord is Lord over all, which should inspire Christians in all times and places to seek unity and not factionalism, end quote. So that is so interesting because as you read this letter, you realize these people seem to be far from sanctified and holy. And I just say, take a look at our lives by the grace of God, amen? That's why he says here in verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, as I mentioned in verses one and two, this is a common greeting that's implored by Paul to the churches. You can see this in Romans chapter seven or chapter one, verse seven, 2 Corinthians one, verse two, Galatians one, verse three. Ephesians 1 verse 2 and Philemon verse 3. Now this word grace, again, the, these are the twins that we talk about in theology. You can't have one without the other. Grace, charis, is an unmerited favor. It is something that we cannot earn. It is something we cannot purchase. We cannot, again, de- give a deposit to receive God's grace. It is freely given as a gift. That's what grace is. An acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. 
It's what Christ did for us on the cross when we are still enemies, when there is enmity between us and him, Romans chapter five. So with this grace comes peace because it is through the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross that we have been saved and have peace with God. I love Romans five verse one. Since we have been justified by faith, catch this, we have what? Peace with God. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse three here it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues into this next level by giving thanks and gratitude. Isn't that so important, my friends, that when we talk about the grace and peace of Jesus Christ, that we give thanks to him? That's why he says, I give thanks to my God always. And, and it's not just for the redemption, but the church for you and for me. I mean, when was the last time you, you, you thanked God for the people in your church? I'll be honest, there, there, there are times where, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe some of the common people that I, I fellowship with on a regular basis. But just when you say, Lord, I thank you for people in my life that I, that I'm fellow brothers and sisters. I mean, I, I, I have the great privilege of not only teaching God's word uh, full time, but that I get to interact with different types of men and women of the, of the word uh, in, their, in, their, in their home churches around the country and, and work with different ministries and, and hear about their faith and how God is using them. And it's beautiful. And I give thanks for that. Just like Paul's saying, he, Paul was moved into another aspect of his opening remarks. Even though this has been traumatic, even though there's been difficulty and division and rivalries and habitual sins and taking things out of context and being a stumbling block for people, he's still giving thanks for the grace of God that has come upon these Corinthians. Paul didn't save them. And then he kind of transitions as he did, you know, like in Philippians chapter one, nine through 11, he, he does this prayer. And this is, I got to say, this is an area that I look into um, and use regularly as part of my blueprint for prayer, whether it's praying for myself or praying for colleagues in the ministry or praying for my, uh, my family, my, my wife and my four kids. He, 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 he discharges several examples of the magnificent change that has taken place among the Corinthians by saying in verse five that in every way you were enriched in him. Notice he says specifically in all speech, and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So there is no denial. There's no questioning their salvation. But what he is having to do is he's having to not just remind them, but also we will see rebuke them of the sin that either some of them have been committing or a lot of them have been overlooking in the lives of others. So in verses seven and eight, We'll see in a minute, he's going to reveal some of these things and that's why he's going to address them. But let's look at this phrase because this is a very, and no pun intended, enriched word that he uses saying that we are enriched in him. This term comes from the, the plutocrat, okay? He uses a word that's applied to a plutocrat, which is a very wealthy person. That's what he's saying here. It says that in every way you were fully 
enriched. You were given this abundant spiritual wealth in all speech and all knowledge. Okay? But notice, even as a testament about Christ was confirmed among you, confirmation, evidence of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's prayer of the Corinthians is that their spiritual gifts would be in what? In abundance. That, that, that they wouldn't neglect the worth and the value of such gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting because the Greeks, they prided themselves in this culture in their knowledge. We're going to be seeing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about the, the wisdom of the world. And they loved uh, the rhetorician, the person who would come and give uh, responses in a philosophical, critical way. So the art of debate was something that the Greeks were masters of, okay? Even still to this day, uh, when we study philosophy, we study a lot of the great, great, great Greeks, okay? But here's the thing, though, that their gifts were to be developed. They were to be exercised in humility, Right? Now, this certainly was an area that the Corinthians were going to be confronted in. And because they were very prideful in their speech, in their knowledge, it caused a lot of division. And they aligned themselves with a lot of movements or ideologies or uh, power-hungry orators who feigned themselves in their intellect. And, and this is something that Paul is going to address so when he says here in verse seven, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul briefly here, is, he's going to touch on spiritual gifts is something he's going to be covering in chapter 12 through 14. This gift that he mentions here, we would say is spiritual giftedness. That's the word is charisma, right? In Greek, where we get the word charismatic from. So again, in the Greek term, that is, it, it's a biblical term. It's something that when we talk about charisma, when we're talking about someone's giftedness, it's not just being a person who is four square denomination or assemblies of God or a charismatic person. And a lot of people are turned off by that. I think Satan has used that so that we don't talk about the spiritual giftedness. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians don't know what their spiritual gifts are. And so as Paul's praying that you don't lack in any gift, my friends, I encourage you to take a spiritual uh, gifted assessment in your own life and make sure that you're not lacking in any gift that the Holy Spirit has given you that you have not been exercising and being obedient in. Now notice in the process of praying that they don't lack in any spiritual gift, he says, as you wait, this means to long for, to wait patiently with great expectation. So as we await the return of Christ, we are to be exercising. We are to be maturing in, in all great humility. And with, but again, with great expectation that as God is using us, okay, as God is using you, wherever you may be, that you're awaiting the revealing of Christ. This word revealing is the Greek word uh, basically, we get the word apocalypse from. It means the revelation. And I believe more than likely, as we just talked about on this podcast in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, Paul's referring to the rapture of the church. And I, and I love this because as we end these two verses, and then we'll pick things up in the next podcast, he says, again, that you're not lacking any spiritual gifts as you are awaiting the revealing of Christ Jesus in your life. And he says, who will sustain you to the end? 
Now, the promise is that Jesus will keep those who have put their faith and trust in him, that they're, that they could be steadfast. I mean, he says, guiltless until the day of the Lord Jesus. That means to be, uh, to, to, per, to preserve and to persevere from falling away. The word blameless here, guiltless, is to be irreproachable, okay? That, so you are guiltless at his return. So as you and I are not lacking any spiritual gift, and as we wait for the revelation, the return of Christ for his church, his bride, we are to be steadfast. It's God who will sustain us. And this is important because if you go back, it was the testimony about Christ that was confirmed in you in verse five. If you go back before that, it was by the grace of God that you and I have peace with Christ. And we are saints, we're sanctified in Christ. So we are guiltless as saints, as people who've been sanctified by Christ until the day of Christ, we will be blameless. This was an expectation of that the Romans uh, had about their kingdom. They believed it would never end. And Paul's like, no, there is a kingdom greater than the Roman empire that will never end. And he told the Philippians in chapter one, verse six, and I am sure of this, that, who, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say in verses 10 through 11, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this day of the Lord, this is an Old Testament expression that he's bringing in here with the Corinthians and he's using it to inform them that the world will be restored at the end because the return of Christ will come and he will rule and reign forever. And that's why he says in verse nine, God is faithful. So if you and I believe that it's, it's God, it's Christ, the second person of the Trinity who will sustain us to the end until he returns, that we will remain guiltless. Why? God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. See this, this reinforcement, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You go back before he says, to the testimony about Christ. You go back before that, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus over and over again, it's about Christ. It's what he has done for us. Man, just pause and give him thanks that we have fellowship with him. Now, I love this as well, my friends, because it seems that what Paul's doing here is just like as he was using the day of the Lord as this expression from the Old Testament that he's drawing from the Mosaic law. Know therefore that the Lord God is God. He is the faithful God. That is of the Mosaic law. God is faithful. And this word fellowship, go back to how he introduced him, the church of God in Christ Jesus. Again, it's capturing this community. It's capturing this communion. It's showing this oneness, that's what he's encapsulating here, that we have in Christ when we are bound with him in perfect unity. This is important, my friends, because as Christians, when we see fractions, when we see divisions, when we see people who are disunified, when we don't see reconciliation, that is not what God has ordered. That is not God's will. God's will for us is not to be divided. And that's why Paul emphasizes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ nine times. Get that. 
Nine times he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ in his opening greeting in his prayer. Zondervan Bible Commentary says, In all Paul's thinking, he is of cardinal importance, and whether it be the problem of vision, moral failure, or doctrinal error, Christ is the answer, and Paul has cause to give thanks. So my friends, as we end the podcast today, would you do the same? Will you give thanks to your, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for dying on the cross for his sins? And will you, as the scripture lays out here in verse 7, will you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he will sustain you in the end, knowing that God is faithful, and enjoying and fellowshipping with those around you and giving thanks to God for the community of believers that you have around you? Not just what we have here, because I know this could be impersonal, it's a joy to know that you're listening and that we have brothers and sisters in Christ like you around the world who faithfully download and listen to this podcast. But more importantly, for those in our own community where we share life with personally, face-to-face, take time to thank God for that. And if, and I gotta say this before we close. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I think it's so important. I just came from a very heavy uh, travel uh, recently at a conference and just hearing of the suicides and the deaths and the longing for answers in the Lord. um, I want you to know that God will sustain you. God is who you need. Put your faith and trust in him. And if you've been dodging prayer and you haven't been spending time, whether you go to bed late or you sleep in or you rush off to the next thing you have to do and you keep thinking, oh, okay, tomorrow. Oh, okay, the next day I'm going to spend more time with God. And you don't. And you are just a wreck right now. Maybe mentally, uh, physically, you're wearing out. Again, I was just talking to another colleague friend and she's just worn out. She's like, I just got to take a break. I'm just really struggling. And and me and a few other people were listening to this over uh, a meal and we just prayed for her, you know, and just, it's a good reminder. God will sustain you. And I want you guys to take hold of that promise. So my friends, thank you guys for listening. Again, if you guys find this podcast to be something that has enriched your own soul and helped you to stand strong in the word, you please let us know that wherever you download and listen to your podcast, leave us a review that helps continue to grow this audience of men and women just like you to help other people to know God's word, defend it, and to teach it to those who are lost. That would be awesome. And if you have any questions, you can always reach us by going to standstrongministries.org. Become a monthly supporter. Help us, Lord. I do pray that you would use these people uh, to support this ministry and to help them, Lord, to be sustained to the end. I know there's a lot of people out there who are being persecuted. And so I just pray you join me in this prayer that God, you would be with the persecuted church, that they would stand strong for your namesake. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. 